my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're looking at spiritual challenges for an institutional church. And the big question for today, how did Jesus relate to institutional religion? Today our co-host is Eric Hoare, and Eric's the recently retired pastor of the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. Welcome to you, Eric. Well, thank you, Gary. It's wonderful to be in your company again, although I didn't think we were going to make it this week with the you know the lockdown that was supposed to be on. That's very true. Last Wednesday I signed off, and I thought we were down for another week, down for the count, but uh, we're all back again. No, we're here. We're here live. Now tell me, Eric, how did you occupy yourself during the, uh, the few days of lockdown that we did have? Well, it's funny how it affects your mind, isn't it, Gary? I think, you know, when you feel like you're being restricted and confined, it does all sorts of funny things to you, I reckon. But uh, for me, well, you know, as as you know, I like to exercise in the morning, do a bit of running. So what I did was I thought, well, how am I going to do this? You know, so uh, Aaron said, well, my wife said, well, why don't you set up a course around, the, you know, (laughs) through the garage? So I haven't got a very big property. There was a fellow in in, uh, in England that did this with his walker. <laughs> Maybe I could have had a wheelchair. But anyway, so I set up, opened the side gate, opened up the back of the garage, the front of the garage. So what I did was I did a circuit, ran down the end of the drive, not onto the road, and then did a circuit back. I think the neighbours across the road thought I was a bit crazy. But anyway, I timed it for half an hour and, and I worked out how many Ks. I did that two or three times, then they changed things. So I was able to hit the road again. But it's amazing, Gary, you know, with, with this lockdown. I mean So you did so you did three kilometers just around your your little block. Yeah, and I tell you I got a bit of a steep driveway too. So <laughs> I had to really work at it. But, I'm impressed. But I tell you what, Gary, it's interesting to me, what I sort of found during the lockdown and that was what people really think is essential to get into the in, to get in store, you know, like we've seen the toilet paper rush and all that. But I know that uh, a lot of people thought the, the bottle shops were gonna close. You know, yeah, and so to people, you know, three days with alcohol, but you wonder how much they drink in three days because I know one particular bottle shop normally sold three thousand dollars in the one day. Well, mm-hmm. the day before the lockdown, everybody shot down there, they sold thirty five thousand dollars worth of alcohol, in one day. <laughs> and and it just amazed me. And then, you know, when the when the uh, lockdown was over, and they announced it at midnight, uh, you know, the next day it was all going to be back to normal. I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but round at Manapara near where I live, there's a McDonald's there. There was a queue at one minute past 12, yeah. line up outside McDonald's. It went <laughs> right down the main north road. I've never seen it before. As though, you know, why couldn't you wait till lunchtime? I think it's in the mind. It's freedom. Let's go and have something to eat. Yeah, it, it says something about our priorities, doesn't it? Just a, just a little bit, you know. I mean, uh, I I know on this particular occasion, I was at home when uh, and uh, when they announced the lockdown for six days, I, I was actually praising the Lord because because at the present time, I'm actually trying to uh, plan and prepare my program for for next year and the calendar for next year and all that's going to be happening for next year. And it's an incredibly busy time at the moment to be locked down at home for six whole days. I sort of thought, hey, this is absolutely fantastic. So cancel. 
council went through so many of the existing appointments and I was able to madly work on next year's programming. I thought that was absolutely uh, fantastic. But, you know, the thing that really jumps out at me is the is this issue of the priorities of so many people because I know my, my family uh, did actually, it was actually our shopping day and uh, uh, my family found themselves down at the um, uh, down at the shops and they couldn't believe it, you know, what uh, how many people were actually involved in uh, in hoarding uh, you know, everything from alcohol to toilet paper to, you know, the whole gamut. And what amazes me too, Gary, is that, you know, uh, um, the mindset of just a few days, it, it kind of makes you slow down yeah. and it makes you sort of start to and, – and a lot of people don't um, – they can't handle – like what am I going to do now you know sort of thing it's yeah. like we're in a really busy world in the old days it would be no problems because life was a lot slower mm. but nowadays you know what do we do for, for the next two days and they panic yeah 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 you know, no that's a, that's so very true mm. you know I was really interested because of course you know this does have huge impact on uh, on all Christian churches and well all all religious denominations but in the um, uh, there's a uh, online um, uh, magazine with uh, that Details with Christian headlines, and uh, one of those articles today just uh, shared, and something really jumped out at me. Uh, the title was "One in Five Churchgoers Never Attended uh, Anything During the Pandemic," and this is what the article actually said. And they brought some, uh, I thought, some really interesting conclusions out of this uh, uh, out of this survey. This is the most recent in what is, in fact, a, a series of uh, uh, surveys that have been done. Well. Churches across the country have faced restrictions and complete shutdowns throughout COVID-19 pandemic. Many have seen more disengagement from professing Christians and regular attendees when it came to attending in-person or digital church services. According to the new survey uh, by, by Barna, as of September 2020, around one in five churchgoers, uh, that's about 22% of church adults, and never attended virtually. So they never actually came online uh, in a virtual manner at all. Um, the, one commentator, um, one director uh, of the research said that overall in the data, we're seeing that there's a decline in church engagement uh, during COVID-19 pandemic. What we decided and this brought to the conclusion, what we decided is that it really comes down to engagement. Are you consuming a service passively or are you feeling connected to your community? Do you feel present and interested as a congregant? Without the presence of other Christians, and this is the thing that really jumped out at me, Eric, without the presence of other Christians, believers feel less inclined to participate in worship amongst practicing Christians. Those who watch church at home, 40%, only 40%, sing along with the worship. Uh, Only 64% actually pray with the leaders. That statement to me, though, I think is actually very powerful, Eric. Uh, Without the presence of other Christians, believers feel less inclined to participate in worship. Do you think we really need others in order to engender the spirit of worship? 
Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that um, having like-minded people there, uh, you know, the thing is that when you're going to a church, you really do get to know people and enjoy their company, and it's you're kind of there as as one. You could feel how the disciples were with Jesus, you know, because um, and you get strength from from others. It kind of makes me feel, Gary, too, that maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes we can actually go to church as a sense of duty. Yeah. That you yeah. know that this is what we kind of are into that pattern, and then yeah. when the chance comes not to go, do we then suddenly pull away? You know, yeah. so I kind of feel that yeah. For me, um, I, I like to be at church and to mix and see people, and and you know, and 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 especially those that are struggling too, that uh, are struggling through this. But it is so important, I believe, uh, to to be there and to um, to have that fellowship together. That's part of worship, you know. Um, it, it the people are the church and. and and that is the whole point of worship is to be there together and share together to worship our Lord. Yeah. yeah. I know that uh, many uh, uh, many years ago I did actually uh, hear a um, hear a story I was on a on a youth camp and at that particular camp what uh, uh, what occurred was that we had uh, a campfire at night and uh, uh, one of the leaders was taking a taking a worship and he actually reached with a pair of tongs into the into the fire and pulled a and pulled a red glowing ember out and just at the beginning of his talk and just dropped it on the ground. And of course, it was actually intended to be a bit of an illustration to, to all of us because a, a few minutes later he came back to us and said, Oh, the ember has actually gone out. And then he made the point that how is it that embers actually maintain their glow? It's actually only when they're with other embers who have also got heat in them. Mm-hmm. If you take an ember out of the fire, it seems that there's a, there's a cooling effect that does actually take place. And to me, and that's what this survey is actually saying. When you actually separate out uh, all the all the believers, uh, what you find is a cooling effect seems to appear um, a most. Uh, uh, Across most congregations, mm. and I just wonder whether that isn't one of the uh, one of the impacts that we're actually seeing at the present time as a result of COVID nineteen. Yeah, and we're all different parts of the body in Christ, aren't we? So <clears throat> you may not realise that you're actually encouraging somebody during a worship service. You know, you may not know that, yeah. but you you yeah. are. So we're all got different personalities, and and you know, we've got a few rough diamonds in our church. I might be amongst them, <laughs> and and they, what they say, you know, kind of gets you thinking, and and you know, and it really stimulates you. Yeah. But you don't get that kind of when you're sitting at home, or you know, how much you actually need, mm. how much we actually need. Each other, mm. and and to me, yeah. that's what this is really. That's what this survey is really saying to yeah. me. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric, look, let's come to some uh, some music. This is Carly Fletcher. A uh, follow the lamb. We will keep the commandments of God.
is Carly Fletcher, Follow the Lamb. Uh, we've got a free gift for you today. The free gift today is a book, Pillars of the Christian Faith. Now, this book has been written by Danny Shelton. Uh, Danny's tied up in 3ABN Media. Uh, he's a, a fantastic, greatly appreciated author, and uh, he has written uh, the, on the pillars of the Christian faith. You know, there are some things uh, that stand above all others. What are the real pillars? What are the real keys? What are the real a central identity of the Christian faith? This uh, this book is uh, is free uh, to uh, to you today. If you'd like a copy of the book Pillars of the Christian Faith, uh, then please text us here at the studio. Uh, this is o four three eight zero double six six three five. That's o four three eight zero double six six three five just to give us just say pillars of the christian faith your name and your address and uh, we'll have this book uh, on on its way uh, to you uh, you're listening to faith fm drive time big q and a with pastor gary our co-host today is eric hoare and eric's the recently retired pastor of the adelaide aboriginal seventh day adventist church this week we're looking at spiritual challenges uh, for the institutional church and the big question for today is how did jesus relate to institutionalized religion it was a little while ago i um uh i stumbled upon an article it was uh, entitled only hope for institutional Christianity lies in truth. Now, uh, this uh, was recorded in the Sydney Morning Herald and it was written just after the George Powell conviction, which is just a little while ago, written by Michael Jensen of the Anglican Church. And this is what he says. Jesus once said, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. To be a representative of institutional Christianity after this last week is to feel the weight of that millstone. With so much hurt and loss of trust, I've been asking myself, does institutionalized Christianity have a future? I don't think there's any doubt that Christianity itself has a future. Because true Christianity, the article says, is not in institutions. The true church is not composed of bishops and hierarchies and committees. Jesus Christ did not set up a church in that sense. Now, that's a fairly radical uh, thought to, to, to so many today. In fact, Jesus saved his strongest words for those who were obsessed with the trappings of religious power and who wanted to exploit the vulnerable within them. But the true church, says Jensen, uh, is the organic local community gathered around Jesus and trying to live out his mercy. It's composed of hundreds of thousands of ordinary people. It might, they might meet in a cathedral and belong to a denomination, but they also might meet in a living room and belong to no denomination at all. Institutional Christianity, and this I found very significant, uh, a very significant statement. Institutional Christianity, the organized part 
of organised religion will only survive if it realises that it isn't in itself the true church, but the servant of the true church. It doesn't exist for its own sake, but for the sake of the community of faith, and through that, for the nation. In our history, it has done much good, but it needs to rediscover its call to service. You know, when I read that about the institutional church, I thought, hey, that is, that's actually very powerful. Um, the thing I'm so conscious of, Eric, is that we live, <laughs> we live in Australia and there's so much negative that's actually spoken about institutions generally. But I'm really interested, you know, what was Christ's view of the institutionalized religion of his day, because I'm so conscious that he certainly created some challenges for the church in his day. Uh, what was the what was Christ's attitude to the institutional church of his day? Well, Pastor Gary, this is a really big topic. I mean, when I looked through the Bible and saw how much material is there for this, yeah. it's outstanding what Jesus spoke about and what was written down about the church that day and the clashes that he had, so many clashes yeah. with them. This is repetitious. It's, and even in the New Testament, if you read amazing. it, it just, it just keeps on, it keeps on coming. Yes. Yeah. And really, we have to start with Colossians 2.8 because there's a warning for us too today yeah. that gives us a warning about this very thing in Colossians. 2 and verse 8 it says beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ so what it's saying there look out you know look out for the worldly things in the church that Mm. your systems of worship are fulfilling God's purpose what God really wanted for worship for us today it's a big warning it, it is a huge warning, through. and it, it's something that, as I'm, you know, as I, I've been involved in certainly worship my entire life, I've been involved with certainly a particular institutional church. That's the the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Mm. Uh, I've certainly been involved with that church now all, all my life. Mm. Uh, do you think that some of the the issues we're going to mention? Do you think that they could even apply to the to the Seventh Day Adventist Church? Oh, it definitely has. When I was reading some of this material and going over it and studying it in deep, but it, it did disturb me that you know we can all be like that. Uh, that yeah. we could get a shock with what it actually says. You know, like for instance, Jesus talked about first of all about something that happened in the temple. He also talked about what um, uh, tradition was doing to the Sabbath. And there was also some very strong things about uh, the the uh, tradition of the elders, but also um, what the Pharisees and things, how they were leading the people astray. Actually, leading them, they're very strong words. And the Pharisees, of course, were the religious leaders mm. of of his day. These were the uh, these were the priests, the bishops, the pastors, the you know the the ordained people mm. of his day. And he had some incredibly strong things to. But take us through this study, yes. um, Eric. Well, I think we need to start off with with uh, a very important one John 2 13 to 17 it was when Christ uh, what Christ did in the temple John 2 13 to 17 uh, and it reads there when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts he found people selling cattle sheeps and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money so he made a whip out of cords 
and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And then he said to those who sold, sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And then his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. You know, when we look at these verses, Gary, it, it comes to me that, you know, this had a lot of practical things were happening here that the people had got used to over a period of time. For instance, it was very convenient to buy sacrifices on the spot rather than dragging them all the way into the temple. Of course, if you had to come a 100 miles mm. and, and walk over five days to get there, mm. uh, you had to have a perfect sacrifice when you got there and a, a damaged hoof mm. uh, would actually disqualify your, your sacrifice. Yes. And so you'd buy them on site but Mm. that became part of the tradition Mm. but of course that particular tradition had started to create huge problems within the within the institution of the uh, of the church itself that's right and also you know uh, it was far more convenient to be able to exchange foreign money you know possibly burying the head of the emperor on some of the coins and in exchange for half a shekel Uh, so it was far easier to do it there than actually do it outside they got so used to the business happening in the church in this in the temple Uh, it was also profitable to the sellers but no doubt also to the priests who were probably the sleeping partners in all this if you uh, if you if you know what i mean who probably drew rent could have actually charged them for actually being there and and being part of the business and so it was convenient for all and profitable many and so the thing became a recognized institution It, it actually over time took a place like this and then Jesus comes in and saw what was happening when they couldn't see it. In other words, the church itself had actually become a money-making business. Mm, that's right. Now that's mm. that's that's a frightening thought, isn't it? Yes, and you know, I could see that this would have taken, you know, maybe there were there were those that objected to it, yeah. you know. Yeah. But then over time, you know what it like familiarity breeds. Yeah. And so it can actually happen like that that what was not supposed to happen actually took place when all this was taken in the sacred temple rather than outside. And because what's happened here is you've actually got over a period of time, you've got imperceptible changes. Uh, it hasn't all come in at once. It's sort of something that has been a, a service to the people to start with. Ultimately, it gets transformed into being actually a, a money-making making business. And, and Christ actually goes and up and the tables. Now, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I thought it was gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Well, it's interesting because it says here that he actually made a, a whip and some people say it was out of the reeds served as a bedding for the cattle in there that he took those long reeds and, and turned them very quickly into <laughs> a, into an actual whip. Uh, but it was a symbol, not an instrument. And according to to the reading of the, rev- the revised uh, version, it was the sheep and cattle, not their owners, whom he drove out. And then he dropped the whip. He turned to the money changers and with the same hand he overthrew their tables and then he came to the sellers of the doves but he didn't hurt the birds or rob the owners he neither overthrew or opened the cages but he bade them take these things hence so he mm. told them to take them out you know yeah. so we got yeah. to see the way he was acting here you know so he's actually restructuring he's, he's attempting to restructure hmm. An institutional form of religion. It's interesting, isn't it, Pastor Gary? When you look at this, and here we are, all these learned men, all these people that have studied the word, all these that have, for their lifetime, have done that yeah, through generations. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly in comes Jesus and sees it straight away. Yeah. 
you know, what was wrong where they couldn't see it. Mm. How dangerous it is for day that we have come so familiar with what we do that, you know, that we've got to really take note of it. really says something to me about the importance of following the Word of God, doesn't it? Because, it does. you know, because what we actually have is a situation where it's very easy for our traditions to actually uh, become the, uh, the guiding principle. Whereas what Christ does is comes back to the, to the Word of God and he, and he says, it is written, my house shall not be, you know, and you get the Christ actually quoting the scriptures. He's coming back to the Word of God. Uh, you know, I think that that is actually an incredible, incredibly powerful lesson uh, for us. Well, what it makes it interesting here at the end of it, it says, his disciples remembered a text. Mm. Zeal for your house will consume you. That's actually taken from Psalm 69 9, mm-hmm. where it says, for zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. So what Jesus here is saying here, that he's standing up against the religious institution of making money. And this was not the uh, original purpose of them. Well, they have a zeal for the house, but it's only for profit. Yeah. And that was that, that's what they remember here. And the insults would actually come back to bite him because they didn't like this. And eventually they took Jesus to the cross yeah. because he stood yeah. against this plus other things. This yeah. is only part of it. Yeah. I, okay. So, so he's, he's talking. He comes in uh, looking at the, um, the financial aspect of the, of the institution and he, he, he challenges the very thinking processes and pushes the people back to the Word of God. Now, mm. what else does he do? Any, anything yeah. else that he does? Well, there's quite a few things in here that he talks about. One of the big ones for me was this one, which interested me a lot. Uh, it's found in Matthew 15, 1 to 9. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, what they are referring to with the traditions of the elders Elders is found in Leviticus uh, 22, 6 to 7, for it reads there, The one who touches anything will be unclean till evening. He must not eat any of the sacred offerings unless he bathed himself with water. When the sun goes down, he will be clean, and after that he may eat the sacrificed office offerings for the food. So what they are referring to was actually washing your hands before you were eating the sacrifices, before the holiness. But Jesus replied, and this is very interesting, he said, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So they'd made this into a tradition. They took what Jesus said as to the washing of the hands. It wasn't anything like today with the COVID for for um, making your hand, you know, this is a ceremonial washing, ceremonial washing to make washing, yourself yep, yep. holy, so you can have the offering. And he says, "Why do you break?" So he says, "Jesus replied, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother.' So here now he brings in uh, the word of God, and he says, "And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mother or father is devoted to God, they are not." To to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mainly human rules. So what he's saying here is, and what was happening was, when a parent wanted something and they called for assistance from these men, they pleaded that they had devoted all to the temple. They'd already mm-hmm. given to the temple, mm-hmm. and they could not spare anything for them. And, and Jesus is saying, hang on a second, you're breaking that commandment. Isn't it interesting that Jesus actually is, is talking to the family here, 
and he's saying, "Hey, look, you know, um, the, the Pharisees are saying, hey, you know, it's it, it's it's better for you to uh, to give money to the temple than to do the." right thing by your family mm. and Christ turns around and says well no the word of God actually doesn't say that no. what the word of God is actually saying is that you're actually uh, as responsible for your parents mm. and the word of God ex- expects you to care for your family uh, as uh, you know more than the institution of the church. That's right. And and of course they were bringing up something that was tradition to 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 speak about, you know, what the disciples were doing about Jesus group when Jesus flipped it around and said, "No, that's not the word of God. You're not quoting it right. That wasn't yeah. what it was given yeah. for. This is the purpose." Uh, yeah. And he brought back uh, a commandment. So here was a, a direct uh, conflict between tradition, man's teaching, they'd flicked around what the scriptures said about washing your hands because what happened was in these times was that um, when you're out in the world uh, in their day when they went out and they were amongst the heathen that uh, they always washed their hands to make themselves pure Mm, mm, and that's mm. what the, that's what it's talking about. Okay, you know, Eric, I'm really interested with this uh, providing money to the uh, to the temple mm. and depriving a family mm. um, from particular gifts. There there seems to be a balance. You know, within Scripture, you get uh, God saying, "Hey, look, you know, there are some things which I expect of you, but there's also a way that I expect you to behave towards your uh, towards your family." The two actually have to be kept in balance. I, I recall uh, I've I've spent a number of years in uh, uh, in church administration myself, and uh, I can well remember on two occasions people actually approached me and uh, and actually said. Look, you know, we would really like to, and uh, I'm talking sizable donations, a uh, very sizable donations that they wanted to actually give uh, uh, give to the to the church. And my first question to them was, uh, well, have you have you actually talked about this with your family? Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, there uh, there are some things that uh, you know the family itself needs to actually be involved in. And uh, yes, uh, as a result, the church didn't actually get um, the donations that the individuals uh, wanted to go wanted to give. Uh, but you know I, I'm so conscious that there are some principles within scripture that tell us how to actually do do ministry that sometimes human um, traditions uh, come in and overrule. Yeah, that's right. And I think what Jesus was saying here is that you know this is the spirit in which I give the law is that and and honoring your father and mother was part of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you know, giving money to the church is fine. You know, we all and, and that's, look, that's that's, that's, that's important. important. And and there are yep. certainly commandments concerning that as well. Yeah, yep. but the balance is that you you know the other thing is that it's all the commandments. It's also looking after your your, your mum and dad and your family. Yeah, and that's part of it all. I mean, you know, it's it's not. And maybe they were doing it in such a way that no, this is what I'm giving and 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 sort of making it blowing up and look good. Yeah, but really, it's what he's saying is it's what's but I love the way Christ, what Christ is doing here, is pushing them back mm. to the Word of God and mm. away from human tradition. What, what else did he say? Well, there. Are, let's have a look because we're going to run out of time today. There's a lot of stuff here, but he did talk about some Sabbath issues where he got into trouble. 
Okay. And, uh, oh, there was three or four of them. It was found in uh, Matthew 12, 1 to 14, and it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Well, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath's duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of the Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So what he's saying here is that um, the Sabbath is given for good. Mm. And we can get into a stage here of, of changing it where we can criticize people as was happening here, that when you do good on the Sabbath, I mean, we have nurses and doctors and things, and you know, and and there were so many things. So Christ doesn't there. actually uh, criticise them for keeping the Sabbath. What he does, however, is criticises them for the manner in which they were actually keeping the keeping the Sabbath, because he himself was actually a Sabbath keeper. He and his disciples were Sabbath keepers. But what he does is he picks up the human traditions that had come to surround the Sabbath and he says, hey, guys, there's a major problem here. And he actually received criticism from the institutional church for redefining uh, that particular issue. And again, the thing I love about it is he's quoting Scripture continually and he's Mm. pushing them back to the word of God and he's saying guys that's not what the word of God is actually saying and to me there's something very powerful here Mm. and it's also you know like when he healed on the Sabbath boy did he get it in the neck for that you know they thought it was also evil and of the devil Uh, and it was found in Mark 3 1 to 6 where another time Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus they watched him very closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath you could imagine the scene eh? they were eyes on him. And Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Verse 5 says, he looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, Mm. said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with uh, with others how they might kill him. So this was a direct conflict here of what they thought should be happening spiritually and what Jesus was actually the Son of God whom they didn't recognize. The thing that really stands out at me there, though, Eric, is that what you've got is the leaders of the institutional church are actually prepared to work out how they might kill Christ. You know, to me, that, that is such, simply so far-fetched, you know. I mean, how does, how does a, you know, a bishop, a priest, a pastor, a, you know, a religious leader go and conspire together to say, hey, you know, we, this fellow is, is challenging us. Let's work out how we're going to kill him. Yeah, it is hard to understand. I mean, you know, when you look at it, what he did in the temple really, really upset them. I think that was uh, a whole 
great yeah, part of his yeah, downfall. Yeah. Uh, he was standing up against uh, what they thought was okay. And then here he's doing things on the Sabbath, which was uh, only good and, and helping people out, but they couldn't see it. Their eyes were blinded, really. Uh, and, you know, they, they had the system in place that they thought was top notch. And here was somebody coming along challenging them. Yeah. Uh, because it's very interesting, actually. And this leads us on to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, you ever heard of the seven woes? Against the Pharisees. Oh, oh yeah. No, no. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to bring them up or not. Yeah, but sure. the, the just first, briefly. Just the, briefly. Yeah, we haven't right. got time for this. But the first part of it is interesting. Then Jesus said to the crowds in Matthew t- uh, chapter 23 and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so they have authority. They have authority. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not <laughs> practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. Mm. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, when they're quoting scripture, when they go through and quote scripture, that's very interesting because he's they're quoting the word of God, but he says, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But when they're quoting scripture, that's fine. That's what he's talking about here. And I think there's seven of these woes, aren't there? You know, he's sort of, woe on you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe on you, scribes. And seven times he issues different, different things where he talks about the leaders of the church. And yet he still respects their authority. Mm. um, And yet he challenges them again. And gets them to be, and pushes them and the people back to the word of God. Mm, that's right. But these these seven woes are interesting. The first one, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He's very strong here. You mm. shut the door of the kingdom <clears throat> of heaven in people's faces. So they're leading them in the wrong direction, spiritually. So the institutional church mm. in Christ's day, Christ accuses of shutting the door of heaven in peace. That is a huge indictment, isn't it? It is. And it says, you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to enter. That's what he says Mm. there. And the other one is, again, he calls them a hypocrite. Uh, You travel over land and sea to win a single uh, convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much as a child of hell as you are. Well, that is strong stuff. You're leading them in the wrong direction in a spiritual way. Uh, But one of them was interesting too. It talked about tithing, uh, that you you give tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And again, he takes that from the word of God. Hmm. What he's doing is pushing them away from human tradition and back to the word of God. Eric, look, we need to have a break just uh, just here. Let's come to uh, Shane and Shane. Uh, oh, worship the king. Oh, worship the king.
bluegrass uh, to liven uh, liven things up uh, a little uh, today we have got a free gift for you that uh, uh, that gift is the book Pillars of the Christian Faith this is written by Danny Shelton this is a fantastic uh, little book uh, what are the f- real foundation stones of the of the Christian of the Christian faith uh, Danny has got some wonderful insights if you would like that particular book just text here to the to the studio uh, just your name your address and the n- title of the book Pillars of the Christian Faith and uh, text that to 0438 uh, 066635 that's 0438 066635 uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A with uh, Pastor Gary and uh, our co-host today is Eric Hoare and Eric's the recently retired pastor of the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church and this week we're looking at spiritual challenges for the institutional church and the big question for today how did Jesus relate to the institutional religion of his day Eric bring it together for us we're running we're running out of time I think the most important thing tonight Gary is to realize that you know Jesus came to save and he came to bring freedom uh, there's a text in Proverbs 7 1 to 3 that says my son keep my words and store up my commandments within you keep my commandments and you will live guard my teachings as the apple of your eye Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. So what is most important to God is our heart and how we feel about him, how we love him, which translate into loving other people, not just the appearance of obedience, because if we show an appearance of obedience and do things because, well, we're told to do them, we won't go through, you know, we will stop going to church. We will treat people not as Jesus wanted. We would start to bring in traditions and looking at ways of improving things, but it's a simple, pure message that Jesus gives yeah, us, you know. Yeah. And and it also speaks here in, the, in James one twenty seven. it says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what it's saying is when your heart is right and your your heart is right in worship, then you are truly worshiping me. Yeah. And then none yeah. of those other things that we've been reading about will, will, will be like that, you know, because, you know, quite honestly, Pastor Gary, I, the most thing that people say why they don't go to a church is they call us hypocrites because of what yeah. a Christian has done. But when we see this and our hearts flex the love of Christ, well, then that will be the thing, the overpowering love for the world. Yeah, and you're actually seeing a lot of this at the present time, you know. I mean, with the, the recent George Pell, uh, conviction and, okay, he's, uh, now that's been, been overturned. Uh, but you know, at the time of that conviction, there was a huge uproar, uh, once again about the, the institutional church. And, uh, whereas so many people, uh, overlook and miss what is the church? And, uh, I mean, do you think people see the church as being uh, the buildings that are out there, the, you know, the institutions, the organizations, uh, rather than, uh, you know, to me, uh, I, I see the church very much as being people. Mm. I think too that when we gather at church, as people, we just have imaginary boundaries around us. The wall should not be there for us to go to the community. That's the way yeah, I see a church. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, Pastor Gary, because when I first started going to church, and I think that particular church had three offerings, I thought, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't understand what the money was being used yeah, for, you know, yeah, for that. Yeah. So the, the whole thing is that when you come to a, to a church thing like this, is that, you know, um, people have enough problems and worries in the world. And when they come, they come not to be judged, to be accepted. We have a person in our Bible group that cannot read. He has his Bible. We gave him a Bible, and but he comes and he holds his Bible, can't read it, but he brings it to church. And we are gratefully, are so grateful he's there because what he says is very important. Mm, New guy mm, coming along, mm. and he's had a hard life. So yeah. what it's talking about here is that people will find rest in Christ, and they, they don't come and then we lead them on some uh, rules and regulations that we have that are only tradition, not what God really intended. And yeah. some of these things we read about tonight, um, God actually put things down, but they've been taken further and out of context and yeah. made traditions. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm so conscious that this mm. is, is certainly a, a challenge for, for my church, you know, my denomination as much as for any other uh, denomination. You know, I, I love the way Christ is just constantly pushing them back to the Word of God. You know, mm. tell me though, Eric, you know, how do you respond to someone who says, hey, look, you know, I'm okay with, I'm okay with Christ, but I don't like the, the, institutional church you know i'm just going to um you know put down i'm a christian on the census uh, but that's really the the limit of it you know i'm okay with christ but i you know the church I, i'm not going to associate myself with uh, with the church H- how would you respond to such a person well, to be quite honest, if you're following Christ and you're growing and learning, you want to be with um, with um, people who believe who believe in Christ, because once if you say, "Okay, I believe in Christ," and then you stay at home and none of your family's Christian, where are you going to get the support? And uh, you're going to you're putting yourself at great danger. Yeah. And yeah. I see this so many times. I, I know of people who who come now and then to our Bible study, yeah. and it's great. They contribute and they love it. They absolutely say, "This is where I." need to be yeah. and then we don't see them for two or three months yeah 
Yeah. And I, I can't I say why. One, one, one of the greatest needs in our community today, isn't it, is this need for community. And I, mm. I'm so conscious that, you know, with the whole COVID thing that's happening at the present time, that's one of the huge challenges the church is actually facing because community itself is actually breaking down. Mm. And uh, what we're finding is that, uh, you know, there are other issues, mental health issues, in fact, that are rising up uh, simply because people are starting to feel isolated. And, you know, physically they might be well, but their mental health is actually deteriorating. Hmm. And, and I know with me, Pastor Gary, when I was um, learning about Christ and, and uh, I was out in the world, I found that uh, people were helping me. They didn't even know they were helping me, really, but they were giving me extra faith as I looked at them and, and um, saw what was happening in their lives. That was actually building me up, and, and, and that's what kept me, you know, drawing me there, was actually mm. fellowshipping with mm. these people until the stage was that, yeah, this is where I belong. Yeah, you know, but it's the fact is that if you don't do that, if you draw back, then you're you're in great danger. And 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 worship is the church. the 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 church is the people, and uh, we must never lose sight of that because Jesus wants all saved. We should not stop people coming in. If we, you know, we don't judge them, we just accept them by faith, and that we grow together. And that's the beauty of Christianity. Mm. That's what Christ mm. came for. Because when we see these things here, and then we sp- see what He said tonight, and then you see what He did with those who these people that we some of these folks tonight thought of other people they didn't want them around you know yeah yeah eric look we we do need to come to a, to an end but look just would you pray uh, for us particularly for for people who uh, may not be part of a community of faith i i just pray that uh, you know that would you pray for them that they might be able to find a community of faith uh, and and people who may have come to distrust the institution of the church as well would you pray for those people sure our dear heavenly father lord we come humbly tonight thanking you for the wonderful love that you give each one of us we thank you for a god who lives a God who cares. And tonight, Lord, as we have looked at this subject tonight, we just want to thank you for your guiding and leading that Jesus came to set us all free, to take the burdens away, to take the weight away from our hearts, the, the weight of sin and, uh, and what we've done in our lives. And Lord, when we recognize and open up our eyes and accept you as our Savior, we know that you will work on our hearts, Lord, to change us into a better people, people that love other people. And tonight, Lord, we just pray if there's somebody out there tonight, Lord, that uh, is, uh, feels, Lord, that they uh, have done something in their lives that they can't go to church, Lord, we pray that you will install in them that Jesus came to save particularly them, that he left the 99 sheep in the pen and went out for that lost one. And we pray, Lord, that they will find uh, a church, Lord, a, a place that they will feel happy and safe and that they will find their worshipping you as a great thing for them. So, Lord, just guide and lead them tonight. Be with us all, Lord, that we may stay close to you, that the main reason that we go to church is to learn about you and then to go and share it with others. Help us, not, Lord, not be caught up in this world and do the things of this world and profit and whatever, but help us to just stay close to you till you come again. So bless us all now, Lord. We look forward to the day where Jesus will soon come. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Eric Hoare on Drive Time BQ&A. Please join us tomorrow when we ask, uh, what made 
Jesus' ministry so spiritual. Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives, so don't be troubled or a prey or afraid. May God richly bless you. Please enjoy Michael Card, El Shaddai. Through the frailty of your son. 